0: We're not gonna vote on my jacket this morning. I have three reasons. Um, I'm a preacher. Number one, I uh, sweat Rod Dewberry level in the 930 service, so staying on. Two, new shirt. How many of you guys have got the new dress shirt before and it doesn't matter what you do and that line is still, I need to wash this things like six times or it'll look like I came out of a package. Yeah, that's right. And number three, and most importantly of all, Jared told me I look cool And um, I'm experiencing a midlife crisis right now. So whenever young people tell me I'm cool, then I just do whatever they say. Okay. Um, Take your Bibles, go to Genesis chapter 19. You know, I always look forward to preaching God's Word. Um, It's just a privilege to, to open up the message. There's some messages you like wake up Sunday morning and you're like, yeah, let's get it. This is not one of those messages. Um, Genesis chapter 19 is, is not only one of the darker moments in the life of Abraham and his nephew Lot, it's maybe one of the darker moments in all of Scripture. It is an absolutely awful story. I mean, the Bible spares no detail about the graphic darkness that Lot and his family both experience and sadly perpetuate. So I want to read this text just so you see how dark this is before we really get into the sermon this morning. So this will take a minute, but I just need you to see all the lurid details of the story so that as we go through it, you will kind of be, you'll have a little bit of your like ill factor going on. Like, this is gross. This is debauched. This is dark. So let me read Genesis chapter 19 for us, it says this, the two angels entered Sodom in the evening as Lot was sitting in Sodom's gateway. When Lot saw them, he got up and met them. He bowed his face to the ground and said, my lords, turn aside to your servant's house, wash your feet and spend the night, then you can get up early and go on your way. No, they said, we would rather spend the night in the square. But he urged them so strongly that they followed him and went into his house. He prepared a feast and broke unleavened bread for them and they ate. But before they went to bed, the men of the city of Sodom, both young and old, the whole population surrounded the house. They called out to Lot and said, where are the men that came to you tonight? Send them out so that we can have sex with them. Lot went out to the entrance and shut the door behind him. He said, don't do this evil, my brothers. Look, I've got two daughters who haven't been intimate with a man. I'll bring them out to you and you can do whatever you want to them. However, don't do anything to these men because they've come under the protection of my roof. Get out of the way, they said. This one came here as an alien, but he's acting like a judge. Now we'll do more harm to him than to them. They put pressure on Lot and came up to break down the door. But the angels reached out, brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. They struck the men who were at the entrance of the house, both young and old, with blindness. So they were unable to find the entrance. Then the angel said to Lot, do you have anyone else here? son-in-law, your sons and daughters, or anyone else in the city who belongs to you, get them out of this place. We're about to destroy this place because the outcry against this people are so great before the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-laws who were going to marry his daughters. Get up, he said. Get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But his sons-in-laws thought he was joking. At daybreak, the angels Urged Lot, get up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you will be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he hesitated. Because of the Lord's compassion for him, the men grabbed his hand, his wife's hands, the hands of his two daughters, and they brought them out and left them outside the city. As soon as the angels got them outside, one of them said, run for your lives. Don't look back and don't stop anywhere on the plain. Run to the mountains or you will be swept away. But Lot said to them, no, 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 my lords, please. Your servant has indeed found favor with you, and you have shown me great kindness by saving my life, but I can't run to the mountains. The disaster will overtake me and I'll die. Look, this town is close enough for me to flee to it. It's a small place. Please let me run to it. It's only a small place, isn't it? So that I can survive. And he said to him, all right, I'll grant your request about this matter too and will not demolish the town you mentioned. Hurry up, run to it, for I cannot do anything until you get there. Therefore, the name of the city is Zoar sun had risen over the land and Lot reached Zoar. And then out of the sky, the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah, burning sulfur from the Lord. He demolished these cities, the entire plains, all the inhabitants of the cities and whatever grew on the ground. But Lot's wife looked back and became a pillar of salt. Early in the morning, Abraham went to the place where he had stood before the Lord he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and all the land of the plain, and he saw that smoke was going up from the land like the smoke of the furnace. So it was when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham and brought out Lot out of the middle of the upheaval when he demolished the cities where Lot had lived. Lot departed from Zoar and lived in the mountains along with his two daughters because he was afraid to live in Zoar. Instead, he and his two daughters lived in a cave. Then the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is no man in the land to sleep with us as is the custom of the land. Come, let us get our father to drink wine so that he can sleep, we can sleep with him and preserve our father's line. So they got their father to drink wine at night, and the firstborn came and slept with her father, and he did not know when she lay down or when he got, she got up. Next day the firstborn said to the younger, Look, I slept with my father last night, let's get him to drink wine again tonight so that you can go sleep with him and we preserve our father's line. That night they again got their father to drink wine, and the younger went and slept with him. He did not know where she lay or when she got up. So both of Lot's daughters became pregnant by their father. The firstborn gave birth to a son and named him Moab. He is the father of the Moabites today. The younger also gave birth to a son, and she named him Ben-Ami. He is the father of the Ammonites today. Daytime television, no reality shows have anything on Genesis chapter 19. Let's pray, Father, open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things from your law. Lord, help us as we look at this sobering word, this dark moment in the history of the redemption of your people, to still see the grace of Jesus in the midst of it. Lord, help us not to be like Lot, who was swept away by sin and its tactics. In the precious name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. If you're taking notes today, the title of the sermon is simply this, vexed. Now vexed is not a word that we use often in the English language today, but I'm lobbying for it to come back into fashion. The the word vexed is simply defined as this. It is to bring trouble, distress, or agitation. As in the restaurant was vexed by slow service. You ever been there before? Or a headache vexed him all day long. I think the word vexed is useful because there are certain things in life that we all find rather vexing. Anybody ever been vexed in here? Troubled, distressed. Let me share with you one very important thing that I find vexing. And it's a story about the fine purveyor of burritos that we refer to as Chipotle. Yes. yes, Lord, that's right. Now you can, amen to that, yeah. Now, I love Chipotle. It's delicious in many ways, shape, or form. But there is one particular phenomenon that when I go to Chipotle, I find particularly vexing. You You get in the line and you order one of the dozens of delicious combinations of meat and vegetables. You really cannot go wrong. I mean, it is all good. It is all delicious. And somebody gets their meat, they get their veggies, they get their cheeses, they get down to the end of the line with this pocket of deliciousness and then have the audacity to take a dollop of pure evil. Some of you call it sour cream. I call it what it is, evil. And plop it on that burrito and utterly destroy the thing. And so you might as well take it like, Add sour cream and throw it in the trash. I mean, that's my opinion. This is, just, this is just awful. Why would people do that? I hate sour cream with a holy passion, as does the Lord, by the way. He does. He does. And, and in fact, Alejandro, could you come to the keyboard right now? If there's anybody in here that needs to repent of their sin of liking sour cream, the altar is open. Pastor Rod will counsel. I think I need to counsel Pastor Rod. Yeah, that's wrong. That's wrong, brother. Yeah obviously this is silly. I I hate sour cream so much, but I do, I literally like, it's like repulsive to me when I find sour cream in food. Um, I am vexed by it. Now that's silly, but we know that sensation, don't we? We look out at the brokenness in our world, broken homes and broken families and broken sexuality and broken systems. And and there's there's a sense in our heart where we're We're perplexed, we're vexed by that situation. And then you can flip it around and you start looking in here and you realize, man, I'm not just vexed about the evil out there, I'm actually vexed by the evil in here. We need to recognize that sometimes, sometimes the evil within can be more troubling than the evil without, you ever been there? You look at our society, you say, yeah, that's a mess, but frankly, I'm not a lot better. Look at my heart and it's a mess too. And in our story today, I bring up this word vexed because of the old King James version, anybody that got pinched in church probably read this Bible when they were growing up. It uses the word vexed to describe a lot and this situation in which he finds himself, not once, but twice. Second Peter chapter two, verse number seven and eight in the good old KJV. And God delivered just lot vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked for the righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from that day to day with their unlawful deeds now if you remember lot lot was abraham's nephew and when abraham left ur lot went with him and at first things were going awesome I mean, God was blessing Abraham, and by extension, God was blessing Lot. I mean, so much so that they were both so prosperous that the land in which they were living, the promised land, wasn't able to sustain them. Here's what it says in Genesis chapter 13, verse number 6. The land was unable to support them as long as they stayed together, for they had so many possessions that they could not stay together. I mean, Lot was bawling. Things were going great for him. So they part company, Lot goes one way, Abraham goes the other, and then six chapters later, we get to the end of chapter 19, and we are reintroduced to Lot, and he is no longer the same man, Genesis 19, verse number 30. Lot departed from Zoar and lived in the mountains along with his two daughters, because he was afraid to live in Zoar, listen, instead, he and his two daughters lived in a cave. Quite a change. It's going from prospering in the Lord's favor, in the Lord's presence, to losing virtually everything in his life and living in a cave. What happened? I think the simple answer to the question is this. Listen very carefully. The reason Lot went from prosperous to vexed is because Lot severely underestimated the power of sin. Lot severely underestimated the power of sin. And this is a sobering word for all of us this morning. We can't be like Lot. We cannot be like Lot and underestimate the power of sin. That's my simple point this morning is this. We must not underestimate the power of sin. So you can say, okay, Ryan... What does that mean then? Like, if I'm not to underestimate sin's power, what is the power that sin has? So glad you asked. I've got three points to tell you. The vexing power of sin that you must not underestimate. The first thing is this. Sin's vexing power is this. Sin is deceptive. It's deceptive. As you read through this story, you cannot help but recognize That Lot, over and over again, becomes a victim of sin's deceit. Now, I don't think Lot parted company with Abraham and being like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to throw my life away. Here's what I'm going to do. Abraham, you go this way. You have experienced the Lord's favor and blessing and prosperity. And I'll go this way and just throw my life in the dumpster. Great, Abraham? Uncle Abe, that sounds like a good deal to you. No, that's not what Lot was thinking. Lot was not thinking that in the slightest degree. What happened? Lot got fooled. He got tricked. He got duped. No doubt, Lot thought something like this: "I'll be fine." Yeah, I know Sodom. I know what they say about Sodom. I know it's a little bit of a dangerous spiritual place. I know that, but I'm—I mean, Abraham. I mean, this guy has heard from the Lord. I mean, we got, I got good lineage. I'm going to be fine. And I, it's not like that place is really going to influence me at all. I'm just trying to pick out the best piece of land for me. You know, I'm, just trying, I'm just trying to continue the blessing that God has given me. I will be fine. But a big problem happened, right? When Lot got into Sodom, Sodom got into Lot. Sodom, or Lot thought he was going to maybe be an influence or a positive impact in Sodom, but the actual, the reverse happened. Lot thought he was strong enough to influence the culture, perhaps, when reality is what happened, the culture got into his heart and began to lead Lot away from the Lord. And in this way, Lot fell hook, line, and sinker for sin's deceptive tactics. You know when the bible describes sin it uses this analogy of fishing any fishermen here okay okay all right you're like ashamed of it you're like no um i'm not very good you know uh, you know what fishing is if you're a fisherman anita you're a fisher liar yeah fishing is just a giant game of deceit it really is because what are you doing You're you're casting bait in, and you're saying, oh, look, fishy. This is good. You want the bait. It'll make you happy. It'll make you satisfied. It'll make you fulfill. It'll fill your belly. It'll meet your needs. And then they take the bait, and what happens? They got the hook. Yeah, the bait tasted good for a second, but in the end, it delivered death. That's the way sin works. It says in the book of James, it uses a fishing analogy. It says, Each man is tempted when? When he's drawn away, drawn away by his own desires. Ooh, that bait looks good. And enticed. And what happens? And sin, when it's finished, it delivers death. And that's what happened to Lot. He just believed lie after lie. I'm strong enough, I'll be fine. Sin's not that big a deal. A compromise here, a compromise there, not a big deal. And Lot got duped. You know, sin masters in the art of the bait and switch. Let me, let me give you an illustration here. Pastor Rod, can you help me, my friend? Welcome Vanna to the stage. Here he is, right? Okay. Oh, you're, you're the big ball this time. So Rod can be tempted. Here, let's, let's, let's do carry. Oh, yeah, yeah. So here's what sin does. Sin, sin holds out temptation and says, ooh, look at what, Carrie, just wait wait a minute. I mean, you're a little too tempted. <laughs> I mean, he's a handsome man, but I mean, come on. Um, sin holds out this temptation and says, look how good it is. Look at all the blessings it will bring you. Won't it feel good? Won't it make you happy? Won't it make you satisfied? Look at how big the benefits are. And here's the consequences. They're over here. They're just a little teeny tiny. Ain't gonna hurt you none. You'll be fine. And then the moment Carrie reaches out to take the bait, what does sin do? Turns. Oh. We didn't rehearse. And says, oh, oh, You're not a very good sinner, Carrie. Yeah. And it says, oh, look, you thought this was the blessing. This is actually the consequence. And the blessing is itty bitty. Have you all found yourself there? Well, it'd be fine if I just let it all out this one time. It's not going to be any consequences. And then a day later, you're like, what on earth have I done when the consequences come home to roost? Well, it, it's fine if I just tell them how I really feel right now. I don't need to control myself. I just, I just need a vent. How's that working for you? The idea is that sin loves to do the art of the bait and switch. The blessing is huge. The consequences are small. When in reality, when you take the bait, the blessings are tiny and the consequences are humongous. That is what happened to Lot. He thought... He thought everything was going to be fine. It's all going to work out for the best, but the consequences were devastating. Any of that sound familiar? It's just this one time. It's not a habit. Oh, oh, that's not going to really influence me. I can handle it. It's fine. I mean, I don't want to be a prude or anything. Oh, if I'm going to be a witness, I mean, people… People have to accept me. Like, so a little compromise here, a little compromise there. It's no big deal. I mean, it's fine. It's not like my character is changing at all. But friends, here's the reality. Listen very carefully to this statement. Those who are docile towards sin end up duped by sin. If you are passive, if you are passive in your fight against sin, you will, like Lot, end up duped. That's why the Bible says things like guard your heart above all else. Be vigilant, be careful, be on the lookout, be a little bit skeptical even. We have to guard our hearts against sin. Or 2 Timothy 2 verse 22, flee, flee from youthful passions and pursue righteousness. In other words, run away In fact, run the opposite way. Go after godliness, peace, and faith, and righteousness. And the Bible even warns us. This is so, so powerful. The Bible says, and by the way, you need help doing this. We are so prone to sin's deceits that it's actually our job to help one another avoid sin's deceit. Hebrews chapter 3 says it this way, encourage one another daily while it is still called today. Everybody look at the screen. So that none of you may be hardened by sins, what? Sin's a liar. And we need one another to say, hey, brother Jared, watch out, man, watch out, man, I think you're, bro, I think, man, I don't want to be judgmental or anything, but bro, you're on a dangerous path right now. Jamie, Jamie, careful, careful, sister. I know this is not going to be like popular for me to say, but I love you, and and I'm afraid you've been duped. You've bought a lie here. Sin is a liar, and it loves to deceive and destroy. It loves to bait and switch. I love the way one 17th century theologian puts it, be killing sin or it will be killing you. If you are not on the offensive, you're losing. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. We are in spiritual danger when we underestimate sin's power and overestimate our own. Friends, can I I say this really kindly? I know the church, and and I'm talking about like the, the body of Christ, particularly in the United States has sometimes like towed the line on the wrong issues, right? And so we've developed a bad reputation in the world sometimes for the wrong reasons. But, but I also wanna say, look, let's not be naive enough to think that the world, and I don't mean individual people, but I mean the world system created by the devil is your friend. It's not your friend. It's created by Satan. And you know what he wants to do? Kill you. And so sometimes I think we in the church that want to be a little more gracious, a little more kind, a little more accepting, and those are right things. Like, I think we need to be balanced in that way. We need to be careful not to let the pendulum swing so far the other way that sin isn't a big deal to us anymore. That's naivete and you're toast, if that's the attitude you take. Because the devil doesn't have any qualms about lying to you. He's just fine. He doesn't care about integrity or how he looks. He doesn't care about his press release. He just wants you to go to hell. We must realize the deceptive nature of sin. The call to the Christian life, don't forget this, the call to the Christian life, when Jesus says, follow me, he's saying, take up your arms. It's not like, go sit on your couch jump on the cruise ship. We are in a war, and we are in hostile territory, and the enemy, both in here and out here, is hell-bent, literally, on lying to you. So we must, must, must not be docile or naive or passive against sin, but rather guard our hearts. Sin is deceptive. That's why it's so vexing. Second, sin is not only vexing because it is deceptive, but it is deliberate. Did you notice in the story that Lot, in Genesis chapter 13, doesn't leave Abraham and immediately go live in the cave? Did you notice there was a progression there? There were several steps along the way, but it seems like Lot's life got worse and worse and worse. And the author of Genesis uses a literary device to help us see what was going on. And here's what he does. He basically uses the geography of Lot to show Lot's proximity to the Lord. Notice, it's fascinating. Lot begins in Genesis 13, enjoying God's favor, where he is with Abraham in the promised land. And then he departs from Lot, and he begins separating from him, and he lives near Sodom. And then we open up chapter 19, and he's no longer just near Sodom. He's actually sitting in the city gates, being influenced by Sodom's culture. And then he's escaping Sodom. He's running for his life and just making it by the skin of his teeth. And then you get to the end of the story, where there's all this tragedy, and terrible things have happened a lot, and he's no longer even in a city or a house. He is in a cave. Huh. Lot's poor decision led him geographically illustrated his spiritual condition. Huh. Now, I need to make a word of clarification here. Before we like delve into the deliberateness of sin more, let me make a word of clarification. Lot's story nor the rest of scripture call followers of Jesus to wholesale withdraw from places where ungodliness exists. That's not what this passage is teaching. Like you might read the story and say, oh, well, when he started moving towards Sodom, then like that's when bad things happen. So that means I should just kind of, we should just do a holy huddle, a fortress, like where I keep all the evil out of my house. I don't have any contact with any evil people. The problem is you are an evil person. So that's not what the scripture is calling us to. In fact, the Bible calls us to be light And in order for light to shine, it has to come in contact with what? Darkness. Now, Lot's fundamental problem then was not his location, Lot's fundamental problem was his disposition. It wasn't so much that he was near Sodom, but rather he let Sodom get in him. He had a disposition towards Sodom that wasn't the right posture. And we need to be aware of that. Look, some of you, by no control of your own, come into situations that are very dark on a regular basis. The Lord may not be calling you to like get out of dodge. So that might not be the Lord's will for your life. Now, God is certainly not calling us to be foolish or unwise and put ourselves in lose-lose. Well, hey, I'm just going down to the strip clubs to be a witness. Maybe not your best idea. We have to be wise, but at the same time, we do need to be salt and light. So how do we manage that temptation? I think if we just think about it in this way, that God cares, God is more concerned about your posture towards sin than your proximity to sin. And that's where Lot missed it. It wasn't just his proximity. it was his posture. He actually embraced sin. He wasn't fighting against it. He ceased to be a counteractive and started to be a contributor. He ceased to be light and became darkness himself. That was the issue. We need to sometimes come in contact with darkness, but that doesn't mean that our our heart's posture needs to be leaning into that darkness. Now, back to the deliberateness then. How did this progression start? Well, I just want you to notice that sin often has this progress to it you know we read back in james there a few moments ago each man is tempted when he is drawn away by his own lust enticed and then what happens well when it's finished brings forth sin when it's finished brings forth death that's just the way the devil works that's just the that's the anatomy of temptation in one sense it's progressive and lot progressively let things slide let things slide let things slide until he found himself almost utterly destroyed by the sin no one sets out to commit adultery the very first time they click on that questionable image on their browser or on their phone that's not how you get there but you do start there no one intends to become abusive when they first let their temper fly off the handle. Well, I'm just letting off steam. No one plans to walk away from the Lord when they stop having a quiet time. You know, just a few days. Or, or I don't really, you know, it's not really that important to go to church. No, nobody intends to just wind up in the cave on their very first thing, but here's what happens. Sin progressively, deliberately leads us to take one step after another, one step after another, one step after another, and then you wake up one day and you're like, how did I get here? It wasn't one choice, it wasn't one big choice, it was 10,000 little choices that got you to where you were. You ever heard the, I don't know if it's a true story or not, but the frog in the kettle, you ever heard that before? You know, the idea is if you have like hot water on a stove and just a very little bit of it, and you put a frog in there and the water's really hot, the frog will hit the water and they'll jump right away because they're like, ooh, that's hot. I don't, I don't want to get in there. But on the other hand, if you put the water on and the frog in, even if it has the ability to jump out and just slowly but surely turn the heat up, Because the frog is cold-blooded and adjusts its body to the temperature around them, what suddenly happens? They boil themselves to death, even though they have the ability to escape. Is that happening in your life? Are you slowly but surely boiling yourself to death? One step away from the Lord, another step away from the Lord, another step away from the Lord, another step away from the Lord, and you're like, what happened? Oh, watching this, that, that won't affect me. It's not, it's just it's not, I mean, come on. It's the 21st century. Everybody does that. I said, you know, like, this is just the way people talk, this is the way people think in the world. Like, I mean, I don't want to be like outdated or people consider me uncool or unrelevant. I'm, I, I mean, those morals, uh, I mean, that's legalistic. I mean, that's a bygone day. I mean, that's just not the way people think anymore. I mean, come on, come on, come on, God. And you're in the cave because you've let sin work its deliberateness on you further and further and further away. Here's a question that I try to regularly ask myself, and it is convicting every single time. Here's the question, ready? Has there been a time in your life when you were closer to the Lord than you are right now? Then are you getting boiled? Are you letting sin slip into your life? Because the trajectory of the Christian life should be one of progressive growth. Not perfect growth, but progressive growth. Moving more and more in likeness, becoming more and more like the Savior over time. Hey, we should, our testimony should be, I'm not what I should be, but I'm certainly not what I was. And if the reverse is true, friends, you're in danger. You are in danger of allowing the deliberate deceptiveness of sin to, to move you away from the Lord. Number three. Sin is destructive. That's why it's so vexing. It's not only deceptive, it's not only deliberate, but it is destructive. I mean, this story is absolutely terrible. Did you read it? I mean, it's terrible. When the angels arrive at Lot's house, the men of the city... They say, hey, send those men out so that we can have sex with them. And I'm glad, I'm really glad that Lot said, no, I'm not going to do that. But he offered an absolutely debauched suggestion. The suggestion is probably worse than what the people were suggesting. Look at what it says, Genesis chapter 19, verse number 8. Look, I've got two daughters who haven't been intimate with a man. I'll bring them out to you and you can do to them whatever you want. Lot's moral compass is not just out of whack. It is smashed. He has been so influenced by what is around him, the evil outside him has become the evil within him. Lot has completely lost his direction here. Look, here's what I want to tell you. Please, I mean... Please listen to the statement. Sin, your sin, when you engage in sin, when you sear your conscience, when you resist the Lord, it doesn't just change your circumstances. It does. It does. You all know that, right? Like when you sin, like consequences come home to roost. We all know that to be true, right? But sin doesn't just change your consequences. Guys, it changes you. That's what happened to Lot. Do you see this guy? The change was not just like things are going bad for me. The change was like Lot offered his daughters to just be raped and apparently felt good about it. These men have come under the protection of my house. What is wrong with you? What's wrong with him is he let sin run rampant. He wasn't vigilant. He wasn't on guard. Sin didn't just change Lot's surroundings. Sin changed a Lot. We gotta beware of that. He, so the consequence. You know what consequences of sin are the worst? It's not the ones that you see. It's what sin does to your character. It's what sin does to your desires. It's what sin does to your heart. It bends you the wrong way. It makes you love the wrong things and value the wrong things. It messes up your mind. Sin is like poison. And if we let it into our heart, if we make these little compromises after the time, we become poison peddlers ourselves. We must beware against the destructive nature of sin. It is sad to me when like people have severe consequences of their sin. That's sad to me. But what is even more sad to me is when they don't see the internal consequences of their sins and they don't even realize it. They've been warped and they have no idea. Lot was utterly warped by sin. And what else happened? Well, he lost all spiritual influence because of that. He goes to his sons-in-laws, right? Hey, guys, these angels are here. They're about to destroy the city. Get up, get out of town, because the Lord is sending judgment. And what do they do? They mock him. Why? Because I bet, here's my speculation, because Lot never talked about the Lord. Man, that's some sort of fair. Like, you don't actually believe that, dude. I, Lot, come on, man. We know you. This is some sort of prank. He didn't just lose influence with his sons-in-law's. He also lost influence with his wife, right? They start leaving the city, and and I mean, they gotta be jerked out of the city, by the way. I mean, the, the, the Bible actually says, like, in his mercy, the angels grabbed Lot by the hand, grabbed his wife, grabbed his daughters, and said, get out, escape, flee from the wrath of God. So imagine the scene, out they go of the city, maybe Lot's wife is up there a little bit in the front. And they're walking along, and she is so tied to Sodom and its way of life and its culture, that even though the angel says, if you look back, you will not make it, what does she do? Lot's wife looks back. In that moment, certainly Lot's wife failed, but you know who else failed? Lot. He was supposed to be this godly presence. And he completely failed this woman He had no influence in his son-in-law's life No influence in his wife's life His moral compass was completely shattered And then the story takes one final grim turn They get out of the city And again, Lot's pleading I mean, he sounds like a giant whiny baby I'm sorry, Lot, I mean, for real don't let me out of there. I'll just go to Zoar. I, I mean, his heart is like so tied to this culture that he's having trouble just making the clean break. Just repent, just turn away from that. Huh. And then he does, finally. And, and, and his daughters go out there and they get him drunk and they commit incest. Not once, but twice. W- what does that say? Again, it says Lot has not been the paragon of leadership or virtue. I mean, he has allowed not only himself to be victimized by Sodom, but his whole family to be victimized by Sodom. And you know who is clapping all the way? The devil. Look, guys, Satan, let me just be crystal clear. He hates you. He wants you to die and go to hell or live and go to hell. As long as the hell part's in there, he's happy. And if you have trusted in Jesus, he wants you to be completely ineffective in helping others come to know Jesus. He wants you to live it up. He wants you to have misery or success, whatever course is better, as long as you don't love the Savior with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You know why? Because the devil delights in destruction. He delights in your destruction. We must be aware that He wants to destroy you. (laughs) Now, it's a pretty terrible story, honestly, right? You may hear all that and say, Ryan, man, when I hear that story, is there any hope at all? I mean, good grief, that's awful, it seems like sin is so powerful that it completely wins the day. Except for it didn't. You say, what do you mean, Ryan? Let's not forget one fundamental reality. Lot escaped. Lot got out. Did he deserve to yes or no was lot like living like he should absolutely not i mean he was a perpetuator of some of the same things that were going on in sodom and yet how how in the wide world why did god get lot out i mean he sent angels in to go pull Lot out of the city. Why did that happen? The answer is this, behind the scenes, something was happening that Lot was probably unaware of. As mentioned in the passage, it, it says that when God told Abraham that Lot was going to be destroyed, what did Abraham do? He stood and he interceded on behalf of God's people in Sodom. He pled, Lord, please. The text actually says in Genesis chapter 19, this is the one bright stroke in the whole dark story. Look at what it says. When God destroyed the cities of the plain, okay, I went too fast, look at the screen. When God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham, and he brought Lot out of the middle of the upheaval when he demolished the cities where Lot had lived. This is where it gets good. The reason that God rescued Lot is because Lot had an advocate. It was not because Lot was deserving, he was utterly undeserving. It was not because Lot was holy, he was utterly unholy. It was not because Lot was good, it was because he, it, Lot was bad. It was rather because God was merciful and there was one pleading His case on His behalf. And you know what? That same rescue that was available to Lot is available to you and I, because here's the reality. God saves, not because we are good, but because Christ is good. And just as we wander far from God and are deceived by sin, are about to reap the whirlwind, the destructive consequences of our action, there is one who is standing on our behalf, pleading our case. And He says to the Father, Father, do not save them for their works, because they are righteous. Save them because I am. And I lived the life they should have lived, and I died the death they should have died, and I rose victoriously on their behalf, and now I stand at Your right hand pleading their case that they may be saved. Yes, this is a dark and terrible story, and it tells us of the depth and wickedness and heinousness of sin. But we have an advocate who is even greater than Abraham. 2 John chapter 2, verse 1 says it this way. If anyone does sin, that apply to anybody in here? If anyone does sin, We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And what did He do? He Himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not for our sins only, but the sins of the whole world. Here's what it means. No matter how far you have fallen, no matter how far you drifted, no matter what cave you find yourself in, the advocacy of Christ is enough. He is pleading your case even now. Look on him, look on him, the righteous for the unrighteous and he will rescue you. Listen, we should not, we should not overestimate the power, the destructive power of sin. But we cannot, it is impossible to overestimate the power of Christ. We should not overestimate the destructive power of sin, but we cannot overestimate the redeeming power of Christ. Christ came to save lots. And that's all of us. And so I want to invite us this morning to just run to the Lord. Pastor Rod had a fantastic suggestion in the 930 service, and I just want us to kind of do that again right now. I'm not asking you to get specific, but I do want to ask you to receive some ministry right now in this moment maybe there is some area in your heart where you've been convicted and there's a little bit of temptation for you to harden your heart against the lord you're drifting you're drifting just a little bit and you want to say right now lord i want to turn i want to turn from that right now i don't want to drift anymore i need to run to jesus right now i need to repent and not let sin get a hold of my heart right now. Here's what I want to invite us to do, and then Pastor Rao is going to come and pray for us in just a moment. I want to invite you right now to maybe with some folks, if you feel comfortable, with some folks around you, to just share just a a small detail. If you don't want to share a detail, that's fine, but just say, would you pray for me that I would be sensitive to the Holy Spirit in this area in my life? Would you pray for me? If you don't want to share a detail, and you just want to say, would you pray that I would be sensitive to the Holy Spirit? That's fine. But if you want to share and have folks pray for you, I just want to take a minute. If you want to pray on your own, that's fine. But I do want us to interact with the Lord right now. And I want us to walk out of here and be like, well, funny story with the ball. That was funny with Rod and Carrie. Awesome. See you next week. But if the Lord's challenging about some area in your life, let's talk to the advocate right now. So I want to invite you to pray right in this moment. If you want to grab somebody around you, you may. If you want to pray by yourself, you may. And then Pastor Rod is going to come and pray over us and give us any further direction. So, people of God, let's, let's do business with the Lord right now. Talk to the Lord right now.
1: As we continue to pray, you know every one of our hearts in the areas where we are most susceptible to incremental drift, baby steps of compromise, little decisions that seem so innocent in the moment, but over a week, over a month, over a year, move us from your presence in the place of promise to a place of total compromising, living in a cave where we don't even recognize ourselves. Lord God, you know with eternal precision what those areas are for each one of us. Not a single one of us woke up some time ago and said, I wanna ruin my family. I wanna ruin my legacy. I wanna forfeit all the blessings that you have for us. Now, no one ever said that, oh God. And so Lord God, would you help us to recognize our blind spots where we've got dangerous proximity to areas of susceptibility in our lives so that we might move with more guardedness and with wisdom. And for those of us, Lord God, that have found ourselves holistically just living in the cave, we recognize that where we currently stand is a place of total departure from your favor and will. Lord God, would you give us hope and not despair that we would climb out of those places and cease to live in depravity? We can't do it without you. Lord God, we thank you for your mercy. We praise you for your love. And that's oh God that we would respond, Lord God, to the pull of your your angelic host or whoever it is you sent. Maybe it's just a person in our life, a friend or family member who has been appealing to us to move quickly. Would you make us sensitive to your sovereign mercy, so God to move us out of that place and come running towards you.